Welcome to another fortnightly episode of War Starts at Midnight. I'm Chris Gallagher. And I'm Hunter Cates. On today's show, we're reviewing Disney Pixar's second film of the year, The Good Dinosaur. Then in special features, we will discuss Dino Stars, the enduring popularity of prehistoric reptiles in motion pictures and popular culture. And finally, we'll wrap up the show as we always do, with some really rad recommendations. But first... Well, it is Christmas time, and as we know from countless TV shows, Christmas songs, and of course movies, this is a season of accumulating as much material resources as possible. That's my understanding. Exactly. Yeah. Expanding possessions. I believe the line in The Grinch was, Christmas comes from a store, and Christmas is about accumulating much, much, much more, mm-hmm. I think is how it went. So, true to that, one of the things that has been helping us movie geeks achieve that aim for several years is Quint's Holiday Gift Guide. I can only hope most of you are aware of Ain't It Cool News, or AICN, as it is known in internet parlance. Chris, uh, I think that you're probably on the same page with me in thinking that AICN is probably not the best news source. It's a, I, I mean, what it, it's kind of the junk food news source. Exactly, it's kind of the junk. It's kind of the People magazine, but at the same time, it's also the great great grandfather of internet movie nerddom. Yeah, yeah. And again, one of the pillars of that is Quint's holiday gift guide. And so today, Chris and I are going to review Quint's gift well, guide. And Hunter, some, real quick for our listeners who might not be familiar with Quint's holiday, if they're gift not, guide. then they need to then <laughs> well, find could, another podcast. Could you, I mean, it's a, it's a. If you're not familiar with it, I think it's going to be a daunting thing to like jump into. So, can you give them a, a little preface for what they are to the, expect? Well, when they- see, okay. Here, the thing is, is if you aren't familiar with it, then I almost think you should dive in head first. But here is your here is here are your floaties, as it were, before you dive in. What it is is an accumulation of. The vast sums of nerdness, and I'm I'm going to say a distillation, but it's not a distillation. It's not I, th- at all. I, th- I think there's, he there's... gathers all of it, and so this this writer on Ain't It Cool News gathers all these various nerd products, ranging from DVDs to underwear mm-hmm. that is semi movie geek related or just geek in general, and puts it out there for you all to uh, yeah. consume. So, so a lot of times you'll see like top 25 gifts for a movie buff. And this is more like top 250 this, this, this gifts. This is like, this is probably where all of those lists come from. Like they come here and they pick out 25 things from this list. Exactly. And then he divides it in between, uh, mo- he divides it in d- to DVDs, books, uh, just general gifts, and yeah. then out there kind of things, and then divides it by price, which is actually looking at your list here, how you did it as well, Chris. Yeah. So since you're, the ones that jumped out at you are more organized, how about you kick okay. us off? And, and I will say some of these are from the list. Some of these are not. So this is sort of my my personal take on a gift guide. Quint I and guess. Quint and his first mate, Chris Gallagher. Yeah, I broke these down into three categories: uh, watch, read, and listen. And I'm going to start with listen first because it's uh, the other two. I, I've kind of broken down by price as well. Uh, for you know, if you're if you're wanting to ask for something that you generally wouldn't buy yourself, or if you want a little guide and, you know, a movie lover in your life that you would like to buy something for, uh, based on, you know, how close you are with them, uh, you can, you can break down by price. So I'm going to start with listen. It's, uh, just two records. And I think they would actually be great together. They're, they're fairly cheap. They're about 20 bucks a piece. And it's the soundtrack to Rushmore and the soundtrack to Darjeeling limited, uh, two great Wes Anderson films on vinyl. And, uh, they're, they sound like vinyl is, is really the format they're meant to be listened to in. Uh, let's move on to watch. 
So in my high category, I've got I've got two options. I've got the Ultimate Buster Keaton collection, which is like 14 discs on Blu-ray, a bunch of short films, a bunch of feature films. Um, it's coming in at $230, so it's one of those that I feel would be a great you know add to your own Christmas list and crush your fingers and hope somebody gets it for you. What'll um, probably happen is your grandma will get you like a five dollar uh, Buster yeah. Keaton shorts that you, you, you don't the, you don't know how real that is exactly. from my childhood they see that and then they think they and then they see the the walmart equivalent yeah, which is not yeah. at all what you asked for that, that actually happened to me when i was a so kid. be sure to include links that's what i learned in high school is be <laughs> sure to include links the uh the second one in the high category is the collected works of hayao miyazaki and this is uh something that whenever it was announced i don't know maybe six months ago i got really excited for so these are um you know hayao miyazaki studio ghibli films um, all together on Blu-ray with, I believe, even some special features that um, are not on previous releases. So uh, if you're a Miyazaki fan, that's that's another thing to really you know consider putting on your list. Coming in at $215, so once again, something you probably wouldn't buy for yourself. At the medium section, uh, I've got the Criterion Collection release of the Apu Trilogy. And this is beautiful. Like I watched, when I originally watched the Apu Trilogy, I watched it on DVD. And... They looked a little rough and particularly like the, the very first film. And I, you know, I thought, okay, world cinema, maybe it's just they, they didn't, you know, they didn't have as good of equipment, that sort of thing. Criterion has done a, an amazing job. Well, along with the Academy and there's a whole story of the restoration of this that in and of itself is remarkable. Like these films almost burned up. Um, in a, in a film fire there, you know, nitrate stock and, uh, I'll, I'll link to, there's maybe an eight to 10 minute, um, sort of behind the scenes thing on how they restored this. Amazing. These, these look beautiful. Um, and then in my low category, of course, I've got dangerous men, uh, which is out today, um, available for, to rent or stream from at least VHX and Vimeo. I'm not sure. And this is a criterion release, a criterion <laughs> Blu-ray release right. as well. Criterion Blu-ray release, the all the, all the fixins and special features. Um, the complete, uh, collected works of John S. Rad on, <laughs> the compl- on criterion collection <laughs> Blu-ray. Not, not totally inaccurate asterisk, maybe depending on how, uh, how much he was, he was lying in his interviews. Okay. So moving on to the read section. Um, in my high category, I've got the Stanley Kubrick archives by Allison Castle. Um, and this is a, this is a great coffee table book. It's, it's the type of book that you just, you want to thumb through for hours on end. It's, uh, goes through basically all of Stanley Kubrick's work and really breaks down and, you know, gives you, gives you script notes, gives you just big, massive stills, tries to distill down, you know, his process through each film. Quick thought real quick. You always hear the phrase coffee table book and it's it's a genre unto itself. Uh-huh. Do people have just coffee tables all over their house or do they just <laughs> stack all of their coffee table books on one coffee table? You know, maybe maybe you treat it like you treat your, uh, you know, your kitchen table or something. You have like seasonal coffee table books. Uh, yeah, okay, you, know, you just you, transition because it it's one of those things. All If you were to get all of these coffee table books of things you like, you uh-huh. wouldn't be able to see said coffee table. That's true. That's something true. to consider, ladies and gentlemen. But this is this is a beautiful, beautiful book. Um, something I got for Christmas a couple years ago and I love it. Uh, so it, coming in at my medium section, uh, I've got 5,001 nights at the movies by Pauline Kale. Um, and this is a great, this is a great, I actually have it on my coffee table as a coffee table book right now. Um, is it, is it in the same place as Stanley Kubrick or has, or have they bunched each other out? Oh, uh, she, she has taken precedence, right. but here's the thing is I actually, I use it quite often, you know, like 
Um, if I, if I see a movie that I think she's probably reviewed, I'll go thumb through it. And then inevitably I spend the next half hour to an hour reading other reviews Going through the rest, because yeah. her reviews are pretty short. They're pretty concise. What she would do is she would always write almost immediately after seeing a film and she never saw a film twice. And so it, it gives a very interesting, um, reaction to the film at the time that it came out. And, um, you know, Pauline Kale, she's, I don't, like I've said on the show before, I don't always agree with her, but I find her insight interesting. And um, so for the low, low price of 30 bucks, you can have 5,001 reviews. I, I think it's, I don't think it's actually 5,001. I want to say this is like about 2,500. It's maybe half of that. Okay. So um, it's, it's, but it's, it's a lot false of reviews. advertising. It's, it's a, That's false it, advertising. Though. It is a, it is a thick book nonetheless. That belongs on any coffee table, any the, movie lovers coffee table. Uh, okay. And then coming in at my, in my low section, I've got, I've got two options. I've got Zeroville, which is a book that I've recommended on the show before by Steve Erickson. When I recommended it before it was out of print, it's back in print. So it is no longer like $150. It's 12 bucks. Great read. Like this is a, if you don't get it for Christmas, you should just buy it for yourself with, uh, with that gift card that you get to Amazon. So if you purchased it a few months ago and Chris recommended it for $150, just go ahead and send, send him a bill for the difference and uh-huh. he'll be more than happy to take <laughs> well, care of that. I will say if you purchased it before, it doesn't have the goofy now a major motion picture directed by a James Franco sticker on the front. So there, there is that there's, there's a slight difference between Yeah. The two. So you are getting by you, by spending that extra, what, 140 bucks, 138 yeah. bucks, you are getting a better quality piece of material. It, exactly. In theory. Um, and then the other thing is the fade out, uh, volumes one and two. This is a comic book. Um, it's a noir comic book set in, uh, sort of Hollywood in the like mid to late thirties in the time of, of noir filmmaking, I haven't read it yet. I'm actually very excited and intrigued to read it. It's actually on my own personal Christmas list. Hunter, have you heard of this? Uh, um, I have not. No. Okay. Um, it sounds it sounds great. It sounds really intriguing. You know, it's a it's a comic book about filmmaking. It's a comic book that is uh, a noir in and of itself. Um, so. Yeah, that's well. I'll tell you what, Chris. I'll go to Walmart and I'll get you a fifteen dollar gift card, and then maybe you can purchase it with that fifteen dollar gift card, or I can just get you a uh, get you something from the five dollar bin. I, you know, your $5 bin pick would be much more intriguing. I it think. would be fascinating. Yes. All right. So those, those are my picks. What do you have for us, Hunter? All right. As I mentioned at the start, mine are not nearly as organized and they're not really based on things that I actually want, or for that matter, you probably want listener. They're more things that just jumped out of me because of the sheer kitsch of them. Uh, to start things off when reviewing Quint's list, I think Chris would agree you need to distinguish between popularity and passion because there's a lot of geek items that may be something that appeals to you, for instance, a lot of Star Wars stuff, but it may not be as cool as kind of the out there things that are geek things that you aren't as interested in, but you still like the idea. And for an example, there is a Knight Rider cell phone charger that has the voice of Kit. Now, I've never seen an episode of Knight Rider. I'm familiar with it just on, at a top level. But the idea of having a Knight Rider cell phone charger, that's just a perfect it, blend of well, I, product and, 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 and story. Yeah, I feel like this is the type of thing that if I was in high school, I would maybe possibly – you know, get this thing just for the, like, it's almost a conversation piece in your car. Well, yeah, because girls love Knight Rider, right? right. Girls and well, girls, course, girls that's, love that's, David Hasselhoff. That's how I understand it. All right. So that, so that's how you should look at this list. Um, and as I said, most of mine are kind of out there. I don't even have the prices on there. I think you just need to look at them yourselves, yeah. dear listener. I'll, I'll, 
we'll provide links yeah. in, the, in the show notes so you can check them out. So if you are a, of the Jewish persuasion, uh, I, I, you know, Hunter, I'm going to say you don't even need to be of the Jewish persuasion. Okay. I saw this thing. I, I didn't see this on the list. I saw this when you put it on here and I looked it up and I was like, oh my gosh. And it I just, and it, and it quite literally lighted up your entire it afternoon. It did. It is so the Menorasaurus. What it is, is it looks like a Tyrannosaurus, but it's got eight portals in its back for placing uh, Hanukkah candles. Uh-huh. So again, you don't have to be Jewish, but it would probably I help. Mean, it could just be a candelabra centerpiece on your co- or on right. your uh, kitchen table. Yes, if only there was a Christian equivalent like a dinosaur nativity scene. <laughs> but I didn't see that on the list. Hunter, let's, we need to cut this out because we're going to make the big bucks next year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so another one that was really cool in that kind of same vein is the egg carton. But it's not just any egg carton. It's an egg carton filled with xenomorph eggs. The xenomorphs are, of course, the alien, mm-hmm. the titular aliens. And so they open up and have little baby aliens. You know, I, I think this one kind of falls under both popularity and passion. Like, I think... A lot of people would recognize it. Because it is functional. Yeah. But, but at the same time, it's like, why? Why do you have this sitting on your – I mean, where – if you got this, where would you put it, Hunter? On my coffee table. On okay. top of my Stanley Kubrick, the uh, <laughs> best of Stanley Kubrick book. Um, I'm going to skip the next one because I think this one I'm, this one should actually be the last. Okay. So next course. in my list is a Christopher Walken Han Solo shirt. Real quickly, for those of you who are not aware, one of the finalists before Harrison Ford got cast as Han Solo was Christopher Walken, which just seems madness now. It would be amazing. But it is a t-shirt with Christopher Walken as Han Solo. So you should check that out or maybe even own it. Next on the topic of Han Solo is, Chris, this is a little too late for you because you already, you know, right. got betrothed and got married. But if you are getting ready to engage to your get engaged to your special someone, these are Star Wars rings, which they say, I love you and I know. And they're a far cry from the normal price of a diamond ring. They're probably around 30 to 50 bucks. Yeah, they're, so. they're especially yeah, for the very, two. It's a set and very, it's, it's, very, it's very economically uh, priced. Yeah. So very affordable. So um, I don't know how your girlfriend or fiance will uh, it would, it would be a, a good, feel about it this. It would be a good test, though. Yeah. Like you just you just pop it to her and, you know, her says, I love you. And if if she's like, oh, that's so sweet. And you put yours on and says, I know. And she doesn't get it. Maybe well, it wasn't and, meant to be. And if yeah, exactly. You don't need that negativity in your life. Um, next is a AT-AT dog costume. <laughs> so if you want to train, if you want your Star Wars fandom to be a, applied to all of your, all the things in your life, it is a costume that lit, looks like one of those AT-ATs from Empire Strikes Back that you can put on your dog. So and it's, it's a pretty, it's a pretty, I feel like you have to have the right kind of dog though. A squatty dog isn't going to work for yeah, this. Yeah, exactly. Now, Chris, you and I are both, uh, in our late twenties, scarily approaching our thirties. So we can't really do this next one all that well. Yeah. Um, I think that there's a cutoff point as far as wearing clothing with, that has geeky items on it. Like uh-huh. a, a grown, grown men who wear Ghostbuster shirts and Batman shirts. I think once it's, you hit 30, it, it's, I, I think it's before 30, but no, there yeah. is a, there is a weirdness to it. Yeah, exactly. However, there is this one company that hails from the United Kingdom, which has kind of given us a way out to mm-hmm. allow us to still wear these. And it's called the last exit to nowhere. And so what they do is opposed to having a t-shirt that says, say, Jurassic Park, the Jurassic Park logo, what it'll have is John Hammond genetic engineering. Yeah. Or as opposed to RoboCop, it'll have OCP. And so what it looks like is a t-shirt that if you actually worked for OCP or worked for Skynet or worked for Waylon Watani. It, it makes you blend in. As yeah, exactly. Most people wouldn't get it, but those who would get it, they'd give you a look and say, uh-huh. They they would give you a wink, and then you two would know. Yeah, you would have yeah. that bonding moment. And then my final item. This comes with a little story. 
I was going to get this item for my niece, who is all of six years old. And then I was telling my girlfriend about it. And then she looked down and said, I was going to get you this. <laughs> so it's an item that I was going to get a six-year-old. And then my girlfriend said, well, I was going to get that, give that to you. And it is, of course, a Godzilla piggy bank. <laughs> and not just any piggy bank, because I already have a Godzilla piggy bank, of course. This piggy bank, what happens is when you put the money on the top of the water, Godzilla pops out of the water, grabs the money, and pulls it down while roaring. <laughs> so what child or grown-ass man would not love that in their Christmas their Christmas tree. Am I right? You you are you are right. I'm gonna say you're right. Yeah. Well in any event that's that's Chris's organized list and then my just fit of madness. You but, know, I, I think this really says something about our different personalities and approaches to film in general. Absolutely. And so we want to hear your approach to it. So why don't you go ahead and review Quint's holiday gift guide and send us what ones really jumped out at you and what you really want to find under the tree. That's at Ain't It Cool News and it's got it's on the side. Yeah, I'll, I'll, so put, a link the, I'll yeah, put a link in the show Pretty notes. easy to find. So in the meantime, why don't you stick around and listen to our review of Disney and Pixar's latest, The Good Dinosaur. <laughs> Get home. I got a job for you. Keep on the dodge and sidle up the lob lolly past them horn heads. What? That creature protected you. What is his name? I don't know. I name him, I keep him. Killer. Ah, stinky! Violet. Smite! Lunatic! Smite! Smite! Come here, Smite, come here! Well, ain't you just the cutest thing? <laughs> I'm done being scared. If you ain't scared, you ain't alive. When Arlo, the titular good dinosaur, finds himself separated from his family, he must overcome his fears of, well, everything, and find his way back home to the family farm at the foot of Clawtooth Mountain. Aiding Arlo on the arduous adventure is a feral humanoid critter named Spot. Spot acts as the young dino's provider, protector, and companion. Though the two cannot speak with one another, they find other means to communicate as they embark on a long journey filled with terrifying pterodactyls, a horde of triceratops, and a family of T-Rex ranchers on the open range. Hunter, back on episode 14 while discussing Pixar's Inside Out, a film that posits what it might be like if the emotions inside a young girl's head were living individuals, you lamented that it, somewhat ironically, didn't deliver on the devastating dose of pathos that populated previous Pixar pictures. But, as the Midnight Warriors discovered during our discussion of Jurassic World on episode 12, the mere thought of a prehistoric protagonist on the big screen produces a jolt of pure, unadulterated joy throughout your entire system. In fact, your relation with Jurassic World was so strong that while personifying films in our summer movie dating game segment, you informed us all that you'd already taken Jurassic World out on a second date and introduced her to your mother. And with that in mind, I'm curious. Did the good dinosaur give you the feels that were missing from Inside Out? And furthermore... Is this film another you would take home to your mother? Well, by this point, my mother is used to my mother knows that I have a type and that type is dinosaur. And so the only only reason I would not take this home to my mother is because I've already taken Jurassic World and I don't want to be, you know, a movie Mormon. You know, you can only have. okay. so you're you're still sticking to this monogamy of Jurassic World. Yes, I'm still pretty monogamous with at least my 2015 dinosaur pictures. Okay. that said, this movie did give me the feels. Absolutely. And more more so than Inside Out did. Yes. And I'll explain why. Why is Inside Out, while a very ambitious and clever comedy, it didn't, forgive me for sounding like such a millennial, speak to me. 
Okay. I think the reason being is that Inside Out is very much a contemporary picture, and it's insofar as its concerns, it's about nostalgia and aging, and that's where the emotional core comes from. Okay, kind of growing up. I, whereas, I I would disagree with that, but I see where you're coming from. Yeah, and but whereas the Good Dinosaur is, while a much simpler story, it's a classic story. Inside Out was more Pixar. This seems almost more Disney. Even it, though it's a Pixar picture, this is a very classic Disney it story. Is, it is a bit more Disney. It's sort of a clash of Pixar's aesthetics with Disney's uh, storytelling. storytelling style. Yeah. And for that reason, I enjoyed it more than Inside Out. I think Inside Out is probably, if you're going to tally things up, it's probably the better movie, Inside uh-huh. Out. Certainly more ambitious. But as far as something that I enjoy more, and frankly, that I think has the potential to last longer in, in far as uh, in, as far as becoming a classic, okay. I think the Good Dinosaur tells tells a more classic, timeless tale, and so it has the potential, uh, perhaps, to okay. last you, longer. You might be right there. I think you know, just comparing them, I feel like if you were to compare them on a like, let's say a six year old sees both of these movies right now, mm-hmm. the Good Dinosaur probably is the one that they have a fonder memory for. A six year old or a Hunter Cates <laughs> or, or Hunter Cates. But, you know, as they grow up, as they become an adult, it's I could easily see the Good Dinosaur being the one that they really like still have a connection with. Well, and then want to show their kids because then there's the the passing of the, you know, from they then become the adult and their kids are in Arlo's position. Exactly. And of. so to and so to that point, my uh, I, my girlfriend who I watched with the way she put it, and I think this sums it up pretty nicely is uh, I wish this was out when I was a kid. OK, because when you yeah. think about it, most contemporary children's pictures are either Pixar, which is magnificent. We love Pixar, but they're comedies that appeal to all ages try to appeal to all ages mm-hmm. as a general rule or on the other hand there's movies like alvin and the chipmunks and madagascar which is well, just fart jokes yeah, and all, all and, you have to do is sit through the trailer show up a little early sit through the trailers of any movie playing before a pixar movie and i mean it happened to me with inside out it happened to me mm-hmm. with this and just think like Man, they're they're just functioning on a completely different. Well, level. they're well, they're feeding children junk is what yeah. these pictures are doing. They're so so shallow, so cynical. It it almost upsets me, quite even, frankly. Even the and I I didn't see it, but judging by the trailer that played during Inside Out, the Peanuts movie looked like it was kind of it, going you know, that it same lost, vein. Yeah. It looked like just from the trailer, at least, that it lost the Charles Schultz. Like there was no melancholy there. There was no like dealing with actual. Uh, you know, emotions that, you know, children are more complex than we give them. Right. Credit and for. I'm surprised they didn't have them, you know, dancing to a Taylor Swift song or something like that. It was close, though. There was something. I can't remember it what was, it was. It was uh, Bob O'Reilly. Okay. That's what it was. But anyway, okay. uh, just to kind of put this in a bubble, if you want to see everything wrong with current family pictures, see the Alvin and the Chipmunks 3 trailer. One, it has in the, two minutes. You mean, you mean Chipwreck? Yeah. No. Chip, uh, chip, oh, I'm sorry. Road Chip. Yeah, Road Chip. There we go. Uh, in three minutes, they have both a poop joke and a fart joke uh-huh. and animated characters dancing to a contemporary pop song. Yeah. That's everything wrong with current family <laughs> movies. And so Pixar doesn't do that. And Good Dinosaur certainly doesn't do that. There's, there's a pee joke in this one. Okay, there's it's, a, it's okay, pretty, there's a it's, it's there's a P okay. joke, but it's, it's but it's a it's a smart P joke. It's, it's, it's played for relatability, not for just crude laughs, right? But the dinosaurs don't at any point in time dance to Bruno Mars or something like true. that, which could easily happen with any other family yeah. picture. So uh, one thing that uh, jumped out to you, uh, you mentioned on your Facebook, and then I see it on your notes here, mm-hmm. is of course the visual aesthetic of this picture. Do you know if this was all CG or if they incorporated actual? 
footage. Okay, so I was actually yesterday I was talking with uh, a buddy friend of the show who you know might uh, might appear in the in the coming soon future. He was saying that he had read somewhere that they. Uh, we're using actual locations, which I absolutely believe. I mean, this this movie looks photorealistic in so many ways, like the um, the rocks, the trees, the water. It, I know it sounds weird to say like that water was amazing, but no, absolutely. But yeah. like everyone who I've talked to who has seen it, the water comes up as like, holy crap. Like, how did they do that? Like it just it the, the physics, you know, like uh, finding Nemo water looked good. But here, like it's it's it a different like level. Water. It's the physics of it it moves like water. Yeah. Well, and then let's talk amazing. about let's talk about this because me being Hunter, I want to get I want to get dark with it. Does that unnerve you or scare you at all? That it's uh, that they're that it's able looking to so real. Yeah, or? they're that they're able well, to do that. That's actually okay. I'm glad you asked this because this is probably I I have a little bit of trouble with the story of this movie. Like if I'm going to give my like base sort of, um, I liked it. I enjoyed it. I didn't like it as much as Inside Out. Um, the story just didn't quite connect with me on the level that Inside Out did, but um, it was good. It was I and I will say it is absolutely one hundred percent worth seeing in a theater. And for me, it was these photorealistic graphics and and the I think they did a really good job to get to your question. I think they did a really good job of um, kind of combining. So you have your landscapes look to the point where it's like, are we sure this wasn't shot with a camera? But then they don't do the uncanny valley thing with the characters. They don't try to make, you know, the dinosaurs look like, quote unquote, real life dinosaurs or any of the other, you know, the fox or the the prairie dogs or anything like that. Right. They look they, very much animated. They animated still look characters. animated. And I think that's the perfect way to approach this as technology becomes better and we're able to, you know, we're able to do nearly anything if, you know, given the time and resources. Um, that's that's a really nice, good blend, I think. I, I really enjoyed the way that they they did that. Um, and so I, I, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me. I do fear that maybe in the hands of someone who's has less tact, um, like a, a DreamWorks, like, like an Alvin and the Chipmunks, they, they, would, they, you know, might try to go more just photorealistic all across the board. And then at that point, it's like, I don't know. I think you lose something. There's, there is something to kind of placing these clearly, obviously cartoon characters in in this world that, that works nicely. You know, it reminded me of, you know, old classic hand-drawn Disney where you basically have these matte paintings mm -hmm. and the characters are interacting within the matte painting. And so the characters don't have quite as much detail, um, but that blending worked well. And it, it felt like the, the 21st century version of that. Yeah. To me. Well, no, it, it was absolutely beautiful. Um, the, you can't talk about, the good dinosaur without mentioning the fact that it was delayed for a year and a half and they yeah. actually went so far as to recast the entire picture. Well, so from what I understand, they, they recast the entire thing. They also like, they had a movie nearly complete and scrapped all of that. I mean, I, I'm sure. Well, they, and you can even see that in the end credits because it says originally store original story conceived by so yeah. and so. I can't even remember yeah. the name. Well, and there's there's five in the story credits. There's five people right. in the story credits, mm -hmm. which generally that's the sort of thing that kind of worries you. Well, so to that point, what do you think happened here? I'll, my theory is that they had the concept, the original concept mm -hmm. of what if the dinosaurs were still around, and then they didn't. They almost they probably went to scripting and even filming before they realized. That's not enough to hang your hat on. Uh -huh. What's the story? What story are we I, actually I think telling? I think that's exactly what happened is like the, from my understanding, it, it was a, 
um, they, they had the, what if dinosaurs were still around? That's exactly like what, mm-hmm. and then they were going forward with the story. And I want to say, I can't remember his name. The guy that co-directed with Pete doctor on inside out in an interview for inside out. He even mentioned, um, I'll see if I can find this. I think it was maybe with, uh, the frame KPCC's, uh, daily podcast. Um, he mentioned that, um, you know, they were, because I think they were talking about the process at Pixar and he was like, yeah, you know, this, this other movie that we've got going right now, the good dinosaur, like we reached a place where we were like in motion and things were going. And then we can, we realized that it wasn't working and completely scrapped it and went back to the drawing. Board. Well, and you have to admire them for that because it could have been very easy to be lazy about it and say, it's Pixar, it's dinosaurs. Those two things will, mm-hmm. are we'll just, a license we'll just to mint money. It. We'll just ship it and put some good promotion behind it and people see Exactly. It the irony, of course, is that this will probably be, based on current trajectory, the least seen Pixar movie since Ratatouille. Mm-hmm. So, which is, yeah. Which, I mean, which is a shame, but at the same time, Ratatouille, like, Ratatouille's no chump. Ratatouille's a great film. Right, and and this is as well. And and Ratatouille also had about the same I mean, I I think this was more t- tumultuous, but Ratatouille famously was a troubled production as well. So given like, the troubled production and the fact that it's got 73% on Rotten Tomatoes, which isn't bad for any other movie, but for Pixar, if it's that low mm-hmm. around 70, it's basically a dud anywhere else. So were you worried that this was going to be a bad film and did it, did it, was it better than you thought it was going to be? Um, so I, I wasn't tracking any critical stuff going in. I wanted to kind of mm-hmm. come in clean. So, uh, that didn't really surprise me. I wasn't all, I also wasn't really sure what I was going to get because the trailers really were mostly the concept. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, it, and, and silence, there wasn't a lot of your classic, like voiceover stuff or, um, or using a lot of dialogue to mostly because this film, this is something we might want to talk about. You know, this film functions much in the same way as something like Wall-E. Like there's a lot of just things happening on the screen. Um, and, that that is your context, you know. Well, not, and, and not to in, that point, yeah, you mentioned Wally. To that point is this film has been said it's very much directed towards kids, and so I took that to mean it was going to be immature, mm. but directed towards kids. In many ways, it almost has to be more sophisticated, yeah. Because once again, like Wally, you are learning from the visuals. Yeah, and I, s- I and, well, in a key moment, a moment. This is the moment I mentioned that it gave me the feels. I didn't, you know, ball or anything, uh-huh. but a key moment, and you and I mentioned this before we began, was spoiler alert whenever they're talking over the stick figures of their family members. Yeah. We'll just say they're, they're talking about their families and they're communicating non-verbally just with sticks and sand. Well, this might be kind of a spoiler, but you actually have oh. a good story with that. Okay. Yeah. If, if you're listening with your kids for some reason um, and you guys haven't seen it yet, earmuffs for the next like 30 seconds. So I've got, I've got this great little story though. So I'm sitting there. It's, it's me alone. It's just like inside out me alone with a theater filled with, families with their kids and this little girl to the left of me. I mean, she couldn't have been more than like maybe five or six because she's like sitting in like her mother's lap. Um, and that scene comes up and Arlo does his little thing. He makes his little family and then uh spot kind of makes his, he shows, he shows his family, him, his mother and his father. And then he does the thing where spoilers, um, he reveals that his parents are dead, which you should really assume at this point, if there's a little child, either running that, around yeah, with either that or there's, yeah, <laughs> jerks. But anyway, um, but he, so he takes the, takes the sticks and covers them in sand and the, the two larger, you know, parent sticks and the little girl next to me almost instantly goes, 
I think he's sad because his mommy and daddy died. And I'm thinking like, holy crap, like I that I, I was so amazed that she was able to pick up on that with just a little bit of, you know, guidance from the visuals like they were they were that strong. And and two, that they were able to accomplish that, that, you know, a child that's five or six is able to fully get it. But here's the kicker. So she says that and there's a like a beat and then she goes, or even worse, they're in prison. <laughs> I don't know what that meant. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't know what prison she's familiar with, but <laughs> evidently that's what they do. But that scene uh, sums up why I loved this picture so mm-hmm. much and why I think it will stand the test of time is – one, it had the courage to kill off major characters, won't say who, but it had, it, it's something that classic Disney would do, is it would There's kill the, off major characters. I think this movie owes a lot thematically to something like The Lion King. Well, and we'll talk about that here in a second, okay. is it will kill off major characters, and it tells a profound, classic, coming-of-age story mm-hmm. in, a, in a new context. And so that's what... Which is really a melding of... It's a, It really is a melding of the, the Disney... Style and Pixar style. Because right, it's, absolutely. It's it, got that journey element mm-hmm. that so many Pixar movies have, but it's also the coming of age thing. Right. So that's why uh, that's why I think that this will uh, resonate perhaps longer than an Inside Out, even if Inside Out is probably a better movie. Mm-hmm. That said, I was disappointed by the lack of scope. And when yeah. I say scope, I, this is a very intimate story. It's not a Lion King. Mm-hmm. Whenever we first saw the trailers and even the poster, the poster, if you recall, was a, like a human hand on a cave wall right. with a dinosaur. And seeing something like that, it's so provocative mm-hmm. that you're like, okay, this is going to be about humans interacting with dinosaurs and kind of the the wonder and the majesty of that. And it really isn't that. Uh, humans, the, the Spock character is basically a dog. He is he is yeah. he he's essentially a dog. So there's no real uh, there's no real moment of of epicness of humans interacting with dinosaurs. And I was disappointed. Other by other that. than really that scene, like there's that scene and the scene towards the end, which I don't think we should spoil. Right, but, but um, um, I I think and maybe had it had they figured this out at the front as opposed to at the back, mm-hmm. Pixar would have produced a picture that was more like Lion King would have been bigger. And yeah, I mean, I, I would have liked to see that. I don't like I feel like that would be an entire scope rearrangement again. Yeah, it was, you know, it was it, good it for what scrapping, it is. Yeah. Scrapping this. But you're right. I mean, we basically get what uh, three or four major interactions, really, as they're going on this journey. We've mm-hmm. got we've got the pterodactyls. We've got the T-Rex ranchers, which are um, how did how did you feel about about them? It's, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things. It's it's it was out there. The whole idea of placing dinosaurs in an Old West setting. That's uh-huh. another thing that this movie uh, makes it unique. But it's known for is it's basically an Old West story, but with dinosaurs yeah. replacing the human well, beings. You've got you've got Sam Elliott playing. Right. Um, uh, sort of the, so the they're very, rancher. Yeah. And so it's ranchers and farmers. Dinosaurs are basically ranchers and yeah. farmers, which is an out there idea and probably only Pixar could get away with it yeah and, and pull then, it off and then you've got well the and i thought i thought he was good i thought that concept was was interesting and kind of great it gave you it gave you an ep- epic scope that was one of the few times when i was like oh man i really i forgot that i wanted to see it in 3d mm-hmm. and that was one of the few times when i was like oh man i really, really yeah in wish. hindsight yeah um and but his anna paquin is his daughter and i don't i can't remember who played um, her brother, like they're a little redneck though. That's, that's one of the places where it feels like it's getting even beyond Disney into like a DreamWorks. Like it's a little broad in the way that they're, 
They're up well, at least they did. Accents. At least they didn't do the boot scootin' boogie or something like <laughs> okay, that, or honky tonk badonka donk. If it were in a DreamWorks picture, the other major interaction that I can think of is this Triceratops named Forced Woodbush. That it's probably about midway through the movie that uh, uh, Arlo and Spot come up to him, and that's a really like it's a really odd choice for any movie here well here's the thing is that to me was the most pixar-y scene because it had an ironic sense of humor mm-hmm. and so it would you have a disney movie a classic disney movie but then you have a pixar scene that felt more at home in like an inside out something like that did, did you think it stuck out in within the like did you did you think it harmed the film not really the, no okay. it was funny but like i said it just it it was different from the rest of the picture the tone of the rest of the picture because i think the only comedy in the rest of the picture are visual gags yeah and then in this scene you have like i said ironic humor that creature protected you why i don't know i'm going home do you know how far clotchith mountain is Good idea. We want him. Why? Because it's terrifying out here. He can protect me like my friends. This is Fury. He protects me from the creatures that crawl in the night. This is Destructor. She protects me from mosquitoes. This is Dream Crusher. He protects me from having unrealistic goals. And this is Debbie. Yes, we need him. Yeah, you know, I think that scene works pretty well. It's uh it it is functioning outside of what Disney would definitely never do something like that, I feel. Um but it feels like uh you know like in Fargo you've got that Mike Yanagata character who uh Gunderson meets with in the in the diner for it's you know, it's maybe a five minute scene and it's completely disconnected from everything else really. This this at least has a minor it it moves the story forward a little bit, but it does feel like this just we're going to take a breath and we're going to we're we're gonna have a little bit of fun. And it and it functions. Like that's one of those things that could either just feel like, why is this here? Or well that that was interesting and weird and entertaining. And I think it falls in the latter. I have a question for you. Then okay. you've mentioned Yanagata, I believe. Yes. You've mentioned this with a few other pictures. Do you <laughs> think that this is maybe needs to become a thing? Is the, the Mike Yanagata the Yanagata like, scene the the, the classification? Yeah. I think it should really. If it, like, if it doesn't already exist, maybe that will be what what we offer internet nerd. Okay. Besides this podcast, that'll be our contribution. Yeah. Is coming this, up with the term Yanagata scene. <laughs> it, it had a real Yanagata moment in it. No, but there there is. You know what I mean though. There's a quality to the way that scene plays out as, as far as like. There is um, well, and now that you mention it, uh, Francis McDormand was in this movie too. So, oh my gosh! Oh look, my look, yeah! Look the at Fargo these, connections look at are all over. Yeah, and if you really wanted to stretch it, I don't suggest you do. But you could even say Mike Yanagata. He's an Asian character. This guy, Forrest Woodbush. He's voiced by Peter Son, the director of the film, an Asian director. That's incredible. You know, you could say that this is the Fargo of Pixar pictures, the good dinosaur. <laughs> I don't I don't know if you could. I don't know if we'd but, go there. You know, let's let's go ahead and label it and see what happens. And so speaking of Asian characters, the opening uh short film that preceded yeah. this, it was called Sanjay's Super Team. Sanjay's and Super Team. 
I thought that that was spellbinding. So honestly, like I liked Sanjay's super team more than I liked the good dinosaur. And w- and it's not fair to compare them, but it was so good, especially coming off of, I can't even remember what the, the lava one. The I lava, lava you. One was, oh, I love I th- you. I, lo- I thought it was kind of cute. I mean, it was kind of cute, it was but, but it was lawn and it, it, it was, it was a bit much, but it, was, this, it wasn't what you expect from Pixar. But let's say this, if you haven't seen the good dinosaur yet, we, I don't think we should tell you a thing about Sanjay's super team. You should just experience that fresh. Yeah. It's, I, I I will say one thing about it, and that is that the way that they took basically like almost like a Samurai Jack style of animation mm-hmm. and incorporated that into 3D, just I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Um, story is great. Animation is great. Really good. Worth worth the price of admission for the uh, for the short. For the opening short. And so we look forward to, I believe his name is Sanjay Patel. Yeah. Look forward to him graduating to a, a full length Pixar picture. Definitely. But in summation, Chris, uh, what's your 30-second soundbite about The Good Dinosaur? Uh, I would say The Good Dinosaur, it is not my favorite uh, Pixar movie. I I think what I said on Twitter was it's not my favorite Pixar movie of the year, but it is maybe Pixar's most beautiful movie ever made. And I haven't asked you this in a long time. I can't believe it because this is kind of my thing. Your favorite part. I knew this was coming. Yeah, I haven't done this in so long. (sighs) Okay. I'm going to go with something a little more abstract. Not so much a part, but... Uh, characters, and that is Thunderclap, the pterodactyl, and his his clan. Played by Steve Zahn. Played by Steve Zahn, yeah, which I didn't realize until looking at the credits afterwards. Um, I really like this just weird idea of a cult built around weather. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, just the the way that they speak about the the weather and the do you remember what the term is that they use? It was the storm provides or something. Yeah, like the, that. the storm provides. They they just follow around wherever a storm is. They follow it around and then find food by uh, pick up the destruction. Yeah, picking up the destruction. Uh, I I just love like it was a little dark and and really it was sharper than you expect from a children's movie because it, I think that's the perfect example of what Pixar does so well of providing something for the kids and the adults, like the whole cult thing. They didn't have to build it out that way, mm-hmm. but it made it much more. Actually, this is, this isn't going to disagree with you. I think that, like I said a second ago, that moment and then the movie in general is just more Disney. Disney mm-hmm. is darker than classic Disney is darker than Pixar, I it, think. And so they this movie was willing to kill off major characters, is willing to have uncomfortable moments such as eating cute little characters, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. I don't think you're as inclined to see in a Pixar movie as a Disney. This is what I liked about this movie, why I would recommend this movie, is it's very much a timeless fairy tale of triumphing over dark things happening to mm-hmm. you even if you happen to be a, uh, a a quadruped dinosaur and so that's why i think it's more targeted towards children but it's a story that i think will a story in a film that i think will resonate through the years and yeah, so i i agree with that like even as i didn't love it i i definitely think it's worth seeing um and it's it's still a really good solid movie. It's it's definitely no cars. <laughs> yes, exactly. Or cars too. So, Chris, it is the Christmas season. Will you be wassling while you watch this picture next, or will you be putting something a little bit more exotic in your eggnog? Perhaps even an eggnog infused beer, if something exists. You know, there's probably an eggnog infused beer out there. If there isn't, and... then that's another thing we need to invent. I think we've invented three or four things during the course <laughs> of this episode. Uh, no, my recommendation for this because it's a children's movie, I'm going to recommend something that you and the kids can both enjoy and that's uh Stewart's key lime soda it's uh i don't really have much to say about it other than it's absolutely delicious um it comes in a four pack and i believe like a 32 ounce giant 
uh, glass bottle. You know, it's, it's one of those old timey sort of sodas. And you said it's a lime soda? Key lime. Key lime soda. Key lime. So it could probably be mixed with tequila fairly effectively. I'm sure, I'm sure it could. You know, for the kids. For, for, the, kids. for the kids. <laughs> yeah. Spice it up a little um, bit. But, you know, I, this is so good. You don't need to, you don't need to spice it up at all. So that's Stewart's Key Lime. Uh, find it at all, you know, purveyors of fine soda paps. And you can find The Good Dinosaur at all purveyors of motion pictures. It's probably playing at a multiplex near you. And so if you've seen the picture, we want to know. Did it give you the feels? Are you going to take it home to mom for the holidays? Let us know at hello at warstartsatmidnight.com. Or if email isn't your thing, we'd still love to hear from you. Ring the red phone and leave us a voicemail. Or just leave us a howl at 484-424-6362. That's 484 484- for cinema. Or if you really want to be creative, why don't you leave a cave painting to let us know what you thought about the picture for our descendants to find 200,000 years from now. That's, that's a great we, idea. Yeah, that's a perfect idea. Well, stick around, ladies and gentlemen, because up next is special features when Chris and I will be discussing Dino Stars. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas just like the ones I used to know I used to know Where the treetops glisten And children listen to hear Sleigh bells in the snow The snow I of a white Christmas With every Christmas card I write May your dreams be merry and bright And all your Christmases be white. Dinosaurs are history. Dinosaurs are science. Most of all, dinosaurs are fantastic. Except for the fact that they were alive once. Here's something you already knew. Dinosaurs died out approximately 65 million years ago. We hear that figure tossed around so much, its enormity ceases to spellbind us. So here's some context. Abraham Lincoln was assassinated before your great-grandfather was even born, 150 years ago, or one 433,333rd the time of the dinosaur's extinction. The Magna Carta was signed in 1215, 800 years ago, or one 81,250th the time. It's Christmas time, and Jesus was born roughly 2,000 years ago, one 32,500th the time the dinosaurs died. Modern man first walked the earth, give or take, 1.8 million years ago, 136th the time in which the dinosaurs walked their last. Point is, dinosaurs have been dead for a really, really long time. Despite this, they're as popular and relevant as ever. Jurassic World, for instance, is currently the highest grossing film of 2015, and the third highest grossing film ever. Yet the Jurassic Park franchise didn't make dinosaurs popular, dinos made them popular, because dinosaurs aren't just currently in fashion, their popularity has never stopped. From motion pictures to comic books, to television, to clothing, toys, and bling, there's not one section of popular culture where dinosaurs haven't stomped. Even menorahs. Even menorahs. 
So why do dinosaurs' popularity continue to endure long after they've died out? Is this just further evidence that we are a culture of children who, sipping from the sweet eggnog of nostalgia, are trying to recapture our childhood glee by watching these titanic wonders from our youth? Or is it simply that the inherent appeal of giant prehistoric reptiles, unlike the dinosaurs themselves, will never die out? Chris, let's start here. What was the first piece of dino-related popular culture you consumed, and how did it begin your relationship with massive prehistoric reptiles? So I, I'm not entirely sure. I mean, I think the first thing I can possibly think of is just playing with dinosaur, like rubber dinosaur That's toys. pretty telling, though, isn't it? That um, you can't even remember. It's just been yeah, there so long. I, I mean, what I was going to say is probably Land Before Time. And I've spoken, I think when we were talking about you Toon and Talk I'm, last time. It's For me, it's either Land Before Time or I don't know if you ever watched these. I had some tapes, not my tapes. You didn't watch my tapes. But I had some tapes with this guy named Gary Owens. And Doesn't so, it, bell, okay, no. it was, it was uh, meant to appeal to kids, but it also had some educational ones. Mm -hmm. I think it was called Son of Dinosaur, and Gary Owens and his co-host, whose name escapes me, they inherited this dinosaur egg. And mm -hmm. so they had to take care of this dinosaur egg until it eventually hatched into a little uh, claymation dinosaur. Okay. But throughout, no. while it's... they were learning how to take care of this dinosaur, they were learning about dinosaurs. Okay. And so I think that might be my f first, but otherwise, you know, same here, yeah. Land, Before Land, Time. Land Before Time. And then of course the ABC, short-lived ABC show Dinosaurs, which I loved. And I think my mother Very educational. Didn't, didn't like me watching because it was, it was a little crude. See, I haven't seen it in so long, but I did have the, the baby doll. Uh-huh. I, I don't know. I don't know uh, if you I, ever actually had the toy. That's I, I how didn't. <laughs> I actually, although I did recently, I got off on this weird YouTube tangent the other day looking at like old toy commercials and that sort of thing and wound up watching a Russian uh, commercial for that doll, like the, the life size, mm -hmm. and the, you know, and it's saying, you know, it's saying I'm the baby, gotta love me, but in Russian very weird okay well i had that not the russian version maybe i <laughs> maybe i would still have it if it were in russian but uh so i think that's uh, as i said in in the opening here the the number 65 million years ago for me it doesn't really mean anything anymore mm -hmm. whereas if i think of something that happened 65 years ago the, the that scope seems, is, yeah, yeah the scope is just so big that it's it's insurmountable to put in real relative relation it's it's bizarre and so to that point what do you think accounts for these animals? Because it's not like we're that interested in, say, mastodons, nor are we all that interested in jellyfish, which are, you know, 400 million years ago. Yeah, but I mean, if you want to look at mastodons, jellyfish, like those are, it's just mastodons and jellyfish, whereas you have a broad scope, you know, it's a, it's an entire ecosystem. It's an entire, so you can, I think you can create stories out of them you know, really. And I, I have a quick anecdote for you about how relatable dinosaurs are. So um, this is several years back with my entire family. We decide we're going to watch Tree of Life because uh, ostensibly because um, it's about Terrence Malick's childhood, which was partially took place in uh, Bartlesville. So now had you seen Tree of Life? I, I had seen it. No one else. So you knew had. what everyone was getting. Into I knew what yeah. everyone was getting into. And I, you know, it was it, that was actually the moment that I kind of came around on it. It was like the first time I saw it, I was like, there were moments that I loved, but a little pretentious second time around, probably because I knew what I was getting into going in. Um, I really loved it. Like that, that was the point where I was like, Oh, okay, I get it. But we're all, we're all sitting in the living room, watching tree of life. Me, my parents, my wife, uh, our dogs and the dinosaurs dogs scene, watch too. the dog no, <laughs> that, that that's actually where this, this, uh, the story yeah, is going. Uh -huh. The, the dinosaur scene comes up and my dog, Margo just starts staring intently at the screen. 
And through the, like, she ends up, like, getting on her hind legs and just, like, staring up at the, you know, it's a good, like, 5, 10, 15 minute scene. I don't know how long it is. It's, it's, time is, time is relative in a, mm-hmm. in a Terrence Malick film. Um, but it's a, it's a decent, you know, amount of time. And she's just captivated by it. And so dinosaurs, I feel, actually, I'm going to argue, transcend even humans and captivate all living creatures. You know, and and you have you have the evidence for that. It's funny that you mentioned the tree of life because I actually had and I didn't even realize it at the time, but you might say a tree of life. Terrence Malick moment watching the good dinosaur really is watching something that this is maybe it was maybe set a million years ago, two million years ago. But anyway, it made you think sixty-five million years ago that it was the la- that was when they walked their last dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. It really they put dinosaurs put you in your place, yeah, so to speak. It yeah. puts you in your cosmic place, much like a Terrence Malick film. Is you have these things that well, seem so present. Mm-hmm. You know, they're toys, they're games, mm-hmm. they're video, they're video games, they're all of these things. But yet, you and I will never see a naturally evolved dinosaur. They may be able to not to not to get out there, mm-hmm. but they may be able to reverse engineer a dinosaur from existing genetic material in birds. But as far as seeing an actual living, breathing dinosaur that evolved on its own, never going to happen. And we are 65 million years, long, long time separated from that ever happening. Right. It's mind boggling. And well, yeah. And if, if, so if, if Jurassic world was to ever park, was it to ever happen? Like it would just be reviving that not, not where they would be today. Right. Which is the entire idea of Jurassic. Yeah, exactly. The entire idea of Jurassic park is, is that right there? So let's just start, let's just have the most basic question you can have. What do you think accounts for their popularity? You mentioned stories. I mean, I, I think that's it for me. That that's what it is, is I think you can very, you know, as a child with, with uh, dinosaur toys, you start to, you know, you create a good guy, you create a bad guy, you know, like, okay, well, these are the herbivores and these are the carnivores. And that is, I mean, that's, that's a very basic toolbox for, okay. Or in Land Before create, Time Lingo, Sharp Tooth and yeah, right. whatever the other ones are um, called. Oh gosh, what are they? Leaf Eaters. Leaf right? Eaters. I, I feel like that's it. It's, it's a basic, you know, it's, it's as, uh, it's as basic as like the hero's journey, the Joseph Campbell, you know, concept as far as you, you distill it down to its skeletal framework of, what you could do with, you know, good guys and bad guys, uh, dark and evil. I mean, that's, that's at least what, what I, so it's just, there's a lot to play with is what I'm trying to say. See, that's interesting to me that you came at it from a storytelling perspective. It makes sense. I came at it more and frankly always have, now that I think about it, it's always been behavior, animal behavior is I've always seen these as animals. And I don't know if most people are like that. I suspect most people who stick with dinosaurs, they start off seeing them as just this really fantastic thing, and then it gradually evolves to wanting to learn about their behavior and how they really live. For me, I think I was always interested in these as living, breathing animals. Interesting. And how they and how they. It's a very Terrence it. Malick approach. Exactly. Well, maybe I should have been a paleontologist. That, that's what this this takeaway here is. Is I don't think anyone's going to argue that with you. Yeah, right? exactly. Actually, true story. Whenever I was you know four or five, anytime anyone ever asked me what I wanted to be, it was paleontologist. Of, of course, it was. Did you? Well, actually, I think. All little kids are into dinosaurs. I say all. Yeah. Oh, I would say that you know ninety eight percent of children are into dinosaurs. Did you ever want to be a paleontologist? I didn't. Um, I well, and this is interesting. Probably until Jurassic Park, I didn't realize that for some reason I thought dinosaurs. I categorized them with like Swamp Thing, Dracula, and the Boogeyman. So it was all fantasy. It was all fantasy. Like I didn't realize that dinosaurs were real like and it was it was Jurassic Park or learning about them in school you know it was a, it, we were in what kindergarten or so when, yeah, around like that, that time when when Jurassic Park came out so it's you know probably coinciding with 
for the first time. And, and then did finding out that they were real animals and then it becoming – Okay, well, did it – it blew your mind, but finding out that it's it's a basically a branch of biology, mm-hmm. paleontology, did that lessen their appeal? Uh, no, I don't think so. It, it made it more complex, if anything, because it's no longer this fantasy creature. It's like a trying to, you know, as a kid, you know, as, as a, as an adult trying to understand 65 million years ago, um, is pretty difficult as a kid. It's impossible, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's probably impossible as an adult too, to really put that in perspective. But, well, as um, I mentioned, it started as one 433,333rd yeah. the time of Abraham Lincoln's assassination. Yeah. I think Insane. that's what it was. Yes. Insane. Absolutely insane. Uh, Jur- quick Jurassic Park story that I neglected to mention during Jurassic World is I didn't actually see it in theaters. I don't. I think you mentioned that you weren't allowed to see it no. either. Uh, by that time, while I was that age, I had already seen all these documentaries. So I had seen mm. animations of T Rexes ripping apart, you yeah, know, yeah. Uh, Triceratops, and then also lion documentaries. So I, I had seen that kind of stuff, and so my parents would not let me see it because they were you know, naturally worried I'd be afraid. However, the way my dad worded it, I will never forget (laughs) is he said, you won't understand. You wouldn't understand. And that is clearly stuck with me for, you know, north of 20 years. What does that mean? And, and frankly, our relationships never recovered. (laughs) The fact that they would not allow me to see Jurassic Park when it first came out. So actually let's, uh, let's talk about that a little bit is, do you think that even though dinosaurs are fantasy things, kids like dinosaurs, do you think that they should be protected from some of the scarier elements of these animals because that's exactly what they were they were animals animals hunt each other animals kill each other do you think that that's something that for lack of better words kids should be protected from i mean i don't think so i think my parents rightly so protected me from jurassic park because i would have had i seen it immediately you were kind of an arlo I was, I was kind of, I was Arlo. Yeah. I, I definitely associated with him and, and, uh, you know, I, I had much empathy for him in, in the film. Um, I was kind of a Freddy cat. Everyone knows that at this point. Um, so should they be protected from it? No, I, there's, there's, you know, children are, are, uh, a lot, uh, a lot stronger and more robust than we give them credit for. Well, and exactly. And they're a lot more insightful because yeah. whenever they see sticks being buried, they naturally assume that prison parents, parents went to prison. So what are some of your, your highlights of dinosaur pop culture? Jurassic Park, I'm sure obviously one of them, but do you have any others? And of um, course, Jurassic uh, Park and Land Before Time. And Rexodus, of course. And, oh yeah, Rexodus is a great example, actually. Rexodus is a like... It's the perfect thing because as we talked about on that episode at length, like it's a, it definitely reminds me of, you know, things from my childhood, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and that sort of thing. But it also, um, is, it's a very good story. Um, so yeah, I, what else would I, uh, you know, I don't know. I didn't. We, we were bombarded with so much, and I'm not complaining, but we're uh-huh. bombarded with so much. It's almost it's difficult to distill it. Yeah, and you know, I I have to admit, I still haven't watched that Herzog documentary that that you told me about. I I need to. It's okay. It's, Speaking of Terrence Malick, the Herzog documentary. I think it's called Dynastasia. Yes, yeah, it's called Dynastasia, and it may not even be on Netflix anymore. But anyway, it's as you would expect. It's very very melancholy. Mm-hmm. This is not kids exposure to dinosaurs what it should be but it's probably the most realistic is it it's very 
uh, very upfront with the idea that these things killed each other. Mm-hmm. They would die, you know, they they could just die on in an instant, and then finally they went extinct. Yeah. So it's it's pretty depressing. You I need love... to be a diehard dinosaur person, or a die or a diehard Herzog fan, or a diehard like. diehard. I love Herzog. I love that your transition is speaking of Terrence Malick. Let's talk about the guy who's the polar opposite of him. Well, as far as just Terrence Malick, I think we're going to start talking about Terrence Malick, <laughs> Werner Herzog. Werner Herzog is more, uh, you know, nature is is dangerous, yeah. whereas Terrence Malick is more just we are all just one part of a larger story. I think so. Well, that was that I mean, was the Ter- thinking there. Terrence Malick, I think, is the like, yeah, he's we're one part of the both- larger story. Where he he's the optimist, whereas Herzog is the pessimist slash realist. But they're both say. yeah, but they're both blunt in putting humans yeah. in our place. Which yeah. once no, again, they, that's they what definitely dinosaur- they definitely belong together. Like they are they are competitors, but they're dealing in the exact same sort of form all the time. Yeah, they're they are yin and yang, as it were. Yeah. So uh, another straightforward question: What is your favorite? Favorite dinosaur, favorite and dinosaur. Um, I, you know, as a kid, I thought the Triceratops was really cool because of the, um, you know, the spikes and then the the spiky tail mm-hmm. as well. Well, he uh, doesn't have a spiky tail. He doesn't have a. Uh, well, it's a pointed tail, but not spiky. Okay. See, it may is. You're you're going to now. I'm, now I'm going to get self conscious about talking about dinosaurs at all because I'm going to be like, oh, this. Well, this actually, one does this thing. cool thing about Triceratops is it is the only animal to ever live that had a ball and socket joint in its neck, so it could spin its neck around 360 degrees. The only animal who's ever lived that's had that. Um, as as an adult, I don't I don't think I really have a favorite dinosaur. Um, I mean, just on just on sheer mass, like I think a brontosaurus is pretty. Like just trying to think of the size of an animal like that. I mean, it had mind boggling. It had a brain and it's like back, right? Uh, not a brain, but yeah, but the equivalent of a brain, like to send nerve signals. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and actually a router, it had had a primitive router. And so to that point I was in uh, Chicago's O'Hare airport a couple weeks ago and they have a scale of the Brachiosaur to encourage you to go to the Chicago history museum. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's it's one of those things. It's uh, femur taller than I am. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's absolutely insane how big these animals were. Well, you know, I mentioned back in the summer when we had our vacations, I, I went to the Natural History Museum with my wife and they have a bunch of, you know, dinosaur bones there. And that's just like looking at, you know, scale is the thing that really amazes me um, as an adult is just looking at staring at these things, seeing how big they are, seeing how just like. It's, I don't know, it's difficult to comprehend. Well, and another thing that's difficult to comprehend is it's not like humans are going extinct, but we can, you know, there's plenty of reasons why humans could go extinct. We've been around in our current state, civilization has been around for about 10,000 years, which is, you know, a Terrence Malachian drop in the bucket, Mm -hmm. whereas dinosaurs are around for 100 million years. So that's another thing that's just difficult to wrap your head about around because they were clearly doing something right. They were able to continue breeding. Right. And probably would have, as the good dinosaur postulates, would have continued to do so had it not been and, for and, a comet. And evolve into farmers and ranchers. Exactly. They would have looked exactly the same but been farmers and ranchers with Texas accents. Well, what, what about the uh, – okay, so quick question about the good dinosaur. Do you think the interpretation of the raptors was a evolution of the raptors or 
a continuation. Quite honestly, of- I wouldn't look at I I didn't look at Good Dinosaur that way because they I think even in early discussions they were talking about making them bipedal and more humanoid, mm-hmm. and then they decided against it because that would have been too just jarring for audiences. Yeah. So I think evolutionarily speaking, it was pretty inaccurate that these animals would continue to have the same morphology and physiology. Well, I meant I meant the whole feathers on them and that that sort. Oh, of thing. I mean, Is yeah, that that, that was kind of clever, I guess. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm going to be very very predictable with my favorite dinosaur it's you know tyrannosaurus rex the most popular of, course, of the dinosaurs girlfriend. yes my yes my 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 lady and the reason is is this is the t-rex to me is kind of like a lion you know what i mean it's mm-hmm. the king of the dinosaurs and that's how i always always looked at it is forgive me for being silly but it's almost like a john wayne figure <laughs> is even though it was an even though it's an animal that you know killed and you know had no morals per se in reality it had no morals it just you know killed and ate that's mm-hmm. all and bred uh it to me it was kind of like a john wayne figure and that's why that moment in jurassic world resonated so much as it is this childhood mm-hmm. hero coming to save the day yeah which i think a lot of people could speak to how did we not talk about and how is this not your favorite moment talk about the little jurassic park uh homage in the good dinosaur where uh, where Sam Elliott's uh, uh, T-Rex is oh, charging in and the raptors come up on him. You know, I didn't really interpret that. And, you know, you might very well be right. I didn't really interpret that as a Jurassic Park homage so much as a T-Rex saving the day. Well, but it, I mean, just I the way, the, way the raptors crawled up on him. Right. Yeah. No, very... I, absolutely, I, I absolutely see where you're coming from. I just didn't see it that way. You know what I mean? It, yeah. it feels like just that's that's the natural yeah, yeah. That's the arc. You know what I mean? That's the T-Rex relationship to the raptor. Okay. Well, I, I have a feeling, Hunter, that we could talk. We could do an entire extended episode. We could do an entire separate podcast. We could probably do 65 becomes... million years of content <laughs> of me just geeking out over dinosaurs. So yeah. it's best we, we put this to extinct. Well, we drop a comment on this conversation. Fair enough. Um, so we want to know, though, what is your favorite dinosaur? What was your first dinosaur encounter in popular culture? Um, tell us, email us at hello at warstartsatmidnight.com. In the meantime, stick around because up next are some really rad recommendations. Well, the weather outside is frightful, but this fire is so delightful. And since we've no place to go, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Well, it doesn't show signs of stopping And I brought some corn for popping The lights are turned way down low Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow When we finally kiss goodnight How I'll hate going out in the storm But if you really hold me tight still goodbye but as long as you love me so let it snow let it snow let it snow all right hunter it's recommendation time once again uh i'm curious where you're going to go with with us on this i'm sure you have 
65 million dinosaur recommendations, but it's also Christmas time. So, uh, where do you, do you have a dino Christmas special? Yes, exactly. I'm going to mix the two. I'm going to the Flintstones Christmas special, greatest (laughs) Christmas special ever. Actually, I'm going to go with the latter category, a Christmas picture. It is in honor of a very Murray Christmas on Netflix, which I've not seen yet. I, I have not seen it either. I'm planning on watching it tonight. I recommended it last week on for friday featured flicks so hopefully your word will be valid yes so a another christmas picture that murray did back in 1988 was scrooged scrooged for those not in the know as the title suggests stars bill murray as an ebenezer scrooge like character he plays a tv exec who is visited by three spirits over the course of a couple of days and you know gradually becomes a better person. You all know the story. What makes this such a uh, memorable picture is it's just Bill Murray at his comedic peak, in gold. my opinion. Yeah, absolute gold. A lot of people have Christmas Vacation as kind of their top-notch Christmas comedy. Mm-hmm. I love Christmas Vacation. I think everyone does, but I would put Scrooge above that. You know, Hunter, I actually wrote a paper on Bill Murray in college, and Scrooge was a kind of a pivotal changing point in my thesis in that it's sort of it's a binder between old Bill Murray and what we've come to know as actual old. You know, maybe you need to put that in the show notes because I would actually personally say that Groundhog Day was more that, but we could. That's there there is a there. It's that's the first like chapter mark. Exactly. um, Um, So but I guess, you know, both you and I were into Bill Murray. You clearly were and as was mm -hmm. I. So I guess you could say that we were into Bill Murray before it was cool. We are hipster Bill Murray fans (laughs) or or we never lost Bill Murray. I think Bill Murray was, was cool and then not cool and then cool again. So if you need your Bill Murray fix for the December month, the holiday season, in addition to watching a very Murray Christmas, follow it up with a classic, which is Scrooge, which you can find pretty much anywhere. Yeah. Certainly the $5 bin at Walmart, <laughs> where you're also finding the Buster Keaton picks for uh, Chris's Christmas gift. Well, you know, Hunter, I think you've given me a gift of actually recommending something that I know and have seen and love. So thank you for that. I have, for my recommendation, not one, not two, but three recommendations. I'm I'm Santa Claus bringing a plethora of gifts. Um, I'll be I'll be quick with the first two. the The first one is Invisible Worlds. It's a podcast about um, about fictional things, worlds of fictional things. I I first heard about it a couple of weeks ago. Um, there was an episode that was replayed on Ninety Nine Percent Invisible called uh, I believe is called Fixing the Hobo Suit, and it's all about superhero um, outfits. Uh, really great. The, the reference to Pixar's uh, The Incredibles in the title there. Um, but right now. Uh, the host is doing a five episode arc on star Wars. And the thing that's really interesting about it is it's not just, it's not just, Oh, let's talk about, you know, the basic history things of star Wars. He brings a different context to it. So the first episode was, um, 1977 and he talks about where film was at the time. It would actually be a nice companion to our discussion last time about 70s cinema. Um, so he, he kind of puts Star Wars in a broader cultural discussion. Really great stuff. They're, you know, 20, 15, 20, 30 minute episodes. So they're pretty quick. Uh, my second uh, recommendation, it's this YouTube video from, I don't know, probably like eight years ago now uh, called uh, how to find tiny dinosaur bones um, from this uh, YouTube channel, Infinite Solutions. Um, I'm not going to say anything about it. Just watch it. It's great. And then watch everything else from Infinite Solutions. 
my final recommendation is Pother Panchali, which is the first movie from the Apu trilogy, which I recommended in my uh, gift guide. I'm recommending it one because this Blu-ray restoration is amazing. This is Satajit Ray's first feature-length film, and when I initially saw it uh, on DVD, I thought, okay, this is—it's a first film. It feels like a first film. It, it just production quality-wise doesn't look great. Seeing it again on Blu-ray, I take all of that back. Like there was. Um, there, there was so much lost in that, that original transfer. And I would say it has some pretty good connections thematically to the good dinosaur. So that's a uh, Pother Panchali, you know, really, I, I would recommend the entire, uh, world of a poo trilogy, um, on criterion Blu-ray. And of course, Chris and I would like to share a recommendation. And that is, of course, it's the season of accumulating more things. Don't risk not getting it as a gift. Don't ask for it. Make sure you get it. The Knight Rider cell phone charger. Of course. Treat yourself course. with a Knight Rider cell phone charger this year, <laughs> folks. Well, and that's a wrap for another episode of War Starts at Midnight. Check us out online at warstartsatmidnight.com for show notes, weekly movie recommendations, and more. And while you're there, do as all the Midnight Warriors do and sign up for our weekly newsletter, The Midweek Memo. It provides a rundown of everything you may have missed in the week. For example, my insane article on the insanity of Shia LaBeouf. That's a can't-miss piece of material. It's it's insane, and it's great. I, I highly recommend you read it. You can say hi to Hunter on Facebook or to me on Twitter at WSAMPod. And if you've made it this far into the credits, let's face it, you should probably subscribe to the show on iTunes. And while you're there, write us a nice little review. It'll help us reach new listeners and it'll make you feel awesome. But if you're the trolling type who's just been hate listening through these credits, well, you can also tell us everything we got wrong at hello at warstartsatmidnight.com. Or if you're a narcissist, you can leave us a voicemail and see if we play it. Just ring that bright red telephone at 484-424-6362. Shout out to Ben Rector for the music on this week's show. Find more music and tour dates at binrectormusic.com. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's the moment you've all been waiting for. Join us in another fortnight as we discuss the most anticipated picture of the decade, Victor Frankenstein, starring James Xavier and Harry Potter. Uh, what? I'm sorry, my mistake, Chris. We're actually doing a war crimes review of Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. Hunter, no, I'm. If this is where we're going, I'm quitting. Pulling your leg, I am, Chris. Tune in next time for a review of Star Wars The Force Awakens, our Star Wars Christmas special, special edition episode. And in this, Hunter shoots first. Well, thanks for listening, you space pirates. We'll see you next time. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a wide pretty good. Did you get that? I did. <laughs>